Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. For you that we know who to teach will face stricter judgment. For all of us that make many mistakes, anyone who makes no mistakes is speaking is mature, able to keep whole body in check with a bride. If we put bits of mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at the ships, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, <clears throat> wherever they will pilot directs, wherever the pirate pilot their eggs. So all the tongue is a smaller member, yet boosts great exposits. How great a forest is set ablaze by such small fire. And yet the tongue is fire. The tongue is a place among members as a world of antiquity. It stands the whole body. It sets on fire the circle of life, and it's and is itself set on fire by hell. For every, for every species of beast and bird, or of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with, the curse, and with it we curse people, made the like likeness made in likeness of God. From the same mouth comes a blessing and a curse. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives and or a grapevine figs? Grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Who is wise and knowledgeable among you? Should okay, show okay, show by your good life that you your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant or lie about the truth. This is not wisdom. <coughs> that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. For where, for where the, the, there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of par partiality or hypocrisy. And the fruits the, and the fruit of righteousness is, is sown in peace for those who make peace. That was, that was a long reading, Everett. You did a great job with that. And you even got to use some, some cool words like devilish and uh, evil, things like that. That was awesome. Thank you so much. We're in a series in the book of James. It's a book of wisdom literature where he developed several themes that were meant to help people, uh, Christians who were already followers of Jesus during a difficult time, a time of great uncertainty and scattering and persecution. 
It's not a letter that served an evangelistic or missionary purpose. Um, it was a letter that was written for people who were already professed Christians. And so in that vein, it's very practical. It's practical and it's concrete. It offers practical wisdom for how to live in the way of Jesus. Uh, you might remember from the first sermon Pastor Bree preached and she mentioned that the wisdom of James is like an application of the Jesus' two greatest commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do we do that? That's what James wants to address and answer. How do we live that out um, in a concrete way in a particular context? So by the time that we get to chapter 3, James settles into this discussion on the dangers of human speech and the human tongue. And you get the sense, the reader gets the sense that when you get to this part, that, that this is like um, James's main instruction for the whole letter. Because er in earlier chapters, he kept saying things like, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. If you think you're religious, but don't bridle your tongue or control your tongue, you're deceiving yourselves. Remember, James was, was a church leader. He was likely the first bishop of, of the Christian church in Jerusalem. That means that he knows uh, the kind of damage and how much damage the tongue can do in the life of a congregation, in a community. James writes this, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, itself set on fire by hell. Uh, in, in November of 2008, Devin and I turned on the television to learn that our, our alma mater, where, where we met and went to college, Westmont College, small Christian liberal arts school in Santa Barbara, was on fire. Uh, many of the buildings were, were on fire, and as we turned on the TV, I learned that the dorm room that, uh, that I had uh, lived in my freshman year had already burned to the ground. Um, 800 people from the Westmont community had hunkered down in the gymnasium for protection while the fire burned within 10 feet of the gymnasium. This is the physics building. The physics building, the lab, the psychology, and the math building, 15 faculty homes burned to the ground. A Catholic monastery nearby in, in the hills also burned to the ground along with 210 uh, local houses in Montecito, and 2,000 acres of land. The governor of California at the time, Arnold Schwarzenegger, also known as the governator, uh, he, he said he visited the fire and he said, my family and I come, for, come to the Santa Barbara area often. We think it's the most beautiful place, but the area we walked around today looks like hell. It was called the Montecito Tea Fire, Tea Fire, because it took place at an historic structure in the hills of Santa Barbara called the uh, Montecito, or called the Tea House. The Tea House is a little structure. There were 10 uh, college students from Santa Barbara City College, AKA not Westmont College, um, who had been enjoying a, uh, um, a small evening bonfire there. They thought they had put the bonfire out when they left, but a lonely ember escaped and landed on nearby brush. 
offshore winds of upwards of 85 miles an hour gusting came blowing through the San Ynez Mountains, fanning the flames, and within minutes the fire was totally out of control. Just one ember and a good time among friends and billions of dollars and so much destruction so quickly. Some of you have experienced uh, trauma or you've known people in loved ones who have experienced loss as the result of a wildfire. And James is saying that this is, this is how powerful is our speech, the words that we, we use. It's, it causes such great destruction in such rapid pace. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire and the tongue has that same capacity, that same power. We've seen this in our public discourse, the destruction, um, the wildfire of the tongue, such that the civility in our public landscape has completely burned to ashes. A politician no longer, um, isn't, is no longer content just to state his views. No, he has to demonize his opponent, calling him a liar or evil or the antichrist or a traitor. A radio talk show host doesn't like the opinions of one of his callers, and so he hangs up on her, calling her a pathetic fool. A busy clerk at a fast food restaurant accidentally forgets to include the french fries in the order, and the person who ordered the food doesn't just point this out, but calls the clerk a moron for doing such a thing. Someone carelessly cuts in front of another driver on the interstate and the offended motorist roars up, up alongside the other motorist uh, yelling obscenities out, out the window. And words become daggers, daggers of hate. You've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, right? But words cause just as much damage. You think about the greatest hurts in your life. Chances are great that they came from some harsh words. Can't you do anything right? C plus, you can do better than that. You're not even trying. Why can't you be more like your brother? There are some words you just never say to a child. It doesn't matter if you feel them, you just don't say them because they can't be forgotten. No child ever forgets hearing that they're not very smart or pretty or generous or kind. Other times we're more subtle with the words that we use, not as direct, but no less deadly. At the end of a long day, you come home exhausted and feeling lousy about yourself. You're not sure exactly why, but then you take your shirt off and you realize there are all these daggers in your back. They, they went in so smoothly, you didn't even notice it at the time. Maybe you tell a friend that you're excited that you're going to volunteer at Vacation Bible School this summer, and she says, oh, that's wonderful. How do you find the time? Which takes a minute to feel the cutting sting of a real message, which is that you're not as busy or as important as she is. Young people get sweetly knifed by compliments that only affirm their potential. Uh, 
You could be on the A team if you really wanted to be. Older people get sweetly knifed when others talk to them in ways that feign honor but actually sound a lot like the way you talk to a child. Everyone gets knifed by hearing, you know, a lot of people are saying, just thought you should know. Whenever someone says, a lot of people are saying, ask for names. Either the list will be remarkably small, or they'll mutter something about confidentiality and turn around and walk away. But you're still stuck with the knife. And James noticed that this is something that happens a lot with Christians. He writes, with the tongue we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers and sisters, this should not be so. Again, when someone is about to curse someone else in your presence, it usually doesn't come across as a curse. It comes across as a concern about the other person. I'm really burdened about Jack. I, I hear there's a phrase for this in particular in the South. It's, it's, it's uh, bless her heart, right? Oh, did you hear about Mary? Bless her heart. That's the Christian way of doing that. But when you pull back the pious veneer, of course, the only thing left underneath it is just gossip. And thinking that we can handle the gossip, that we can make decisions about whether or not it's true or false for ourselves, we listen to it. And when we do that, we take the poison into our lives that, and, uh, and, and it, we give it room for doubt. It's like a poison or a deadly virus that's been downloaded into our soul. James would say that we should just stop talking um, unless we're planning on using our words to bless others. You know, I'm convinced that the reason people love their pets so much is because they don't talk back. <laughs> but James isn't saying that, that we shouldn't um, ignore the sins or failures or hurts that other people cause us. He's just saying that we should be very, very careful with the words that we use, especially when we're hurt. When wild animals are wounded, they run directly at you. When human beings are wounded, they pick up the phone and call their friends. So how can our speech be different? As Christians, we're meant to create a new society, a new way of living, a new way of communicating and speaking and hearing one another that doesn't mirror the ways of our public discourse or the ways of the world, but that reflects the redemptive character and quality of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How do we, produce, how do we use words that produce what James promises, a harvest of righteousness? Well, if we want our words to produce, to be vessels of blessing and not daggers of hate, it's going to take some hard work and some practice. Um, peaceful words, redemptive speech doesn't just roll off our tongue. We have to work at it. 
In the 1930s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, as I've mentioned before, he had an underground uh, theological school training for pastors. It was illegal. It was a seminary. They were part of the underground church during the Nazi regime. It was called Finkenwald. And during this time, Bonhoeffer deployed, um, a, proposed a rule, a remarkable rule for how the people in this community would communicate and relate to one another. All the people who were part of the Finkenwald community, faculty and staff alike, um, were, were uh, never to talk about another person in the community, even if they were saying something positive about that person, unless that person was present in the room. Think about that. If Bonhoeffer's rule were practiced today, there would be no gossip, no secret whispering about others, no strategy meetings about how to handle difficult people, no conversations that start with, I think we should pray for Randall because, you know, no speculations about whether or not Alice is a control freak, um, not even any private sharing about how to best help Frank and Marilyn with their marriage problems. Everything would be out in the open, truthful in the daylight. The question is, did this work? How did it work in their community? Well, there was one man who was a student of Bonhoeffer's there who later reported that, uh, that in fact, they utterly failed to, to, to keep this rule. They failed over and over and over again. He said, but however, their attempts to keep the rule failing, resolving to try again, absolutely changed the character of their community and how they loved one another, how they communicated, how they cared for one another. He said the students and the faculty in trying to make their speech redemptive, holy, truthful, learned as much about the nature of God uh, as they did from sermons and Bible studies. James warns us to live wisely, to practice redemptive speech. But it, it's not something that we can just force out. It has to come from our hearts. This is why James, this is why Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then James goes on to say, who is wise and understanding among you, show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness and born of wisdom. But if you have bitterness and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't be boastful and false to the truth. There, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. So peaceful and loving words can come from hard work and practice, but that's not the deepest source of our speech, of merciful and tender speech. The deepest truth about our speech is that no one can truly speak loving words to others unless they have heard loving words spoken to them. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens were opened and the voice of the Father said, this is my son, the beloved, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How much pain in the world has been caused because so many people have never heard those words spoken about them? How every human being yearns in our hearts to hear that kind of word spoken about us. And the good news of the gospel is that the, the words that, that the Father spoke to Jesus on that day are the same words that, 
through Christ, the Father speaks to each and every one of you. God says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, the beloved. I am so pleased with you. And God isn't pleased with you because of what you have done. God is pleased with you because of what Jesus has done. He found you in the wilderness and he brought you home. In that blessing from God, there is forgiveness for the careless and the hurtful words that we've sometimes spoken, even to people we love and admire and respect. And also in that blessing is the power to learn to speak to others in a new way with peace and gentleness. It's out of God's good word for and about us that our words of blessing can come from us toward the world. I'll close with this thought. Bruce, uh, Bruce Larson, the late minister, um, has claimed that some of us go through life listening to voices from the cellar, and others go through life listening to the voice from the balcony. The voices from the cellar this are from below us. These are the harsh words that were said early in our childhood. You're not good enough. You're not pretty. You're not smart enough. And although we've tried to rise above these judgments and we've built very successful lives for ourselves, we can still hear the voices from the past. They seep up through the floorboards and they haunt us our whole lives. But others have chosen to listen to the voice from the balcony. That's the only voice that can drown out the nonsense from the cellar. And that's the voice of God, the Heavenly Father who is so pleased with you. That's the voice that says, no matter what, I love you. And there's nothing you could do, nothing you could ever say that would ever make me love you more or ever make me love you less. There's an old saying that if we really knew how to look, in every person we meet, we would see angels before them declaring, make way for the image of God. Make way for the image of God. Lord, may we have that vision in every person we encounter. May we see angels declaring your image coming through. Amen.